0: Hello. I'm Wayne Hiley, Managing Director and CEO of Peninsula Energy and ASX-listed stock under the symbol PEN. Peninsula has its US flagship project, the Lance Project, in the state of Wyoming. And it's a uranium development company. We have a strong balance sheet, a proven team with a very much experienced, highly experienced uranium production team, uh, ready for an efficient uh, project execution on the restart of our Lance projects. And we've just launched and and presented to the public an updated and detailed definitive feasibility study on the Lance project. Our next steps are going to be to consider. uh, making a final investment decision on the on the restart of the Lance project in the second half of 2020, and uh, we look at Lance now as being perfectly positioned to play a larger role in the in the uh, U.S. nuclear fuel markets, which are uh, moving and shifting towards a Western focus for production. So, thank you, Matt, for having me on.
1: Not from not Wayne. Uh, I saw you did that in there. Uh, highly experienced team. It's good. It's um, <laughs> subliminal. It's the way to go. Um, hey, look, well done getting the DFS out. I've got to ask the question why on earth would you bother putting a DFS out into this environment of high inflation?
0: Yeah. Well, uh, you know, it's important to understand as we get closer to a final investment decision we need to know all of the impacts on the project the externalities what's pushing the project prices you know is capital expense going to push us too far we did a sensitivity on on capital but we also included current capital costs is opex going to push us out of the range everybody knows that sulfuric acid prices today are significantly higher than they were in 2018 when we when we last did a feasibility study on uh, the Lance projects. In fact, the current sulfuric acid prices are twice what they were in 2018. So we looked at that. We took that into account, and we started our feasibility study with the assumption that sulfuric acids prices would be twice what they were in 2018. We digested all of the inflationary price pressures and all of the you know capital materials and operating supplies that we need, uh, and we did so much more. We we added. Um, Technical basis through our uh, uh, field demonstration uh, outcomes, we you know we've we've substantially de-risked the project since 2018 when we last did a feasibility study, and we rolled that all into this new definitive feasibility study.
1: now I appreciate the work that you've done. That wasn't the question. But the, the question the question is, why do it now? You must have had some degree of certainty of what the cost would do to your C one cost. I mean, I, I know they've come in, you know. Just over 16 bucks. Pretty impressive stuff. But in, you know, we've seen companies come onto the show and have to justify 40, 50, even 1K, 60% increase to their last capex number. And they're terrified you know, because they, they get the appropriate reaction in the market, which certainly have been to date. So you must have, been, you must have walked into this with some degree of certainty. Or is it down to the strategy that you've um, employed because you decided not to re- include Barber in the mix? I mean, so what, what was it? Well, to answer your question,
0: why now? Uh, we have a lot of inbound inquiries about you know, availability of production from our company to the, to the nuclear utilities. And um, you know, in order to sensibly answer the price question, what price are we willing to send, uh, uh, sell material into the market at in the future? We have to know our cost basis. So there was no time like the present to get present to get the the updated feasibility study out, so that we can um, now talk with the market, uh, the, the the fuel buyers, and and provide sensible. And and appropriate answers to the question: How much material is going to be available, and at what price?
1: Right. Okay. But but again, I'm I'm, again trying to get into the the thinking and and the logic here because you're right. There's no time like the present. You've got the the your African peers are cracking on. They're you know in terms of the development guys anyway. They're marching on into their DFSs like like you. They've got to overcome the issue of you know this low, low grade perception. They've got to show and demonstrate the numbers. But more importantly for them is WNA coming up in September, NEI coming up in, in in October. Traditionally, the time that utilities start making decisions, right? So, did you feel that you needed to be able to accelerate into you know that period, or was it coming back to the risk question? Was it the confidence that you knew that you could control? Your your costs and margins to a degree which would be attractive to your shareholders, not just you know, utilities telling the utilities we're ready to get into production.
0: Yeah, I think you understand that. This is the period um, you know coming up that that a lot of uranium sales get completed, transactions and contracts get written, um, and and we needed to be ready, but we also really needed to be able to definitively answer the question. You know what's an appropriate margin? What what can we feel confidently that we can meet? And and uh, you know feasibility studies don't get done overnight. They're long-term projects, and and we've been guiding that this uh, definitive definitive feasibility study would have been released in this quarter. You know throughout the year and probably late into last year. So it, it's been a long-term work in progress. But it's on the pathway towards resuming production at Lance and and selling that production into the market.
1: Right. We better, we better kind of. I'd better let you have the opportunity to actually tell us what the DFS um, tells you, because the, the bit that I'm really interested in is because you've spent all this time and, all, and your team has worked really, really hard. Your highly trained team worked really, really hard to get this DFS out. In a tiny fashion, to put yourself in the best position to have these conversations, you know, from position of strength, as it were, with utilities. I I, I totally get that, but in a very meaningful way. So what? I need the ne- I need to know what's happening next, you know. So let, let let's let's deal with the numbers, so we can work out the types of conversation that you're going to be able to have with utilities. So if, if you if you want to share um, the the hi- highlight the highlighted numbers with us, that'll be fine. All right, Matt.
0: So um, you know, I think we have really excellent outcomes from our feasibility study. Uh, we're showing a 14-year mine life on a scaled-back project, uh, generating about 14 and a half million pounds over the life of the mine. Our pre-tax NPV at an eight percent discount rate is is 125 million dollars. With a strong IRR of 43%, we've looked deeply into the numbers, done cash flows, and and recognize that we'll achieve a positive cash flow at the end of year two, which is really when our project transitions from uh, the first stage of, of operations, which is around 820,000 pounds per year, and ra- and starts ramping up uh, to a two million pound per year. Uh, Project. In order to go to that 2 million pound per year rate, uh, we'll be investing about $60 million into the project in the first two and a half years. Um, Our corporate treasury can be used to fund a portion of that. That's not um, projecting that we need to raise $60 million since our corporate treasury right now is over $20 million. you know but but in order to get the project up to that 2 million pound per year we have to fund our stage 2 capital requirements and let me just share those with you and we'll come back to this slide because you know we're going to talk about all in sustaining cost and all in costs uh, eventually but we have a very capital efficient uh, plan for for the Lance projects today. The plant facilities are constructed with about a, an 820,000 pound per year production capacity. Uh, that's down from previous um, um, levels. We used to say it was about a 1.15 million, but we're changing the ion exchange circuit. We're going from uh, trains of two columns to trains of three to to get better capture efficiency. Uh, in the plant. So we're, we're reducing the flow capacity and therefore the, the annual production rate. The stage two, um, the stage two is to, to bring the, the production rate up to about two million pounds a year. That means plant capacity uh, expansion and that costs about 24 million dollars and concurrently expanding the well field capacity to fill the new plant capacity that takes about45 million dollars. So, stage one is really very low capital intensity, only about $25 million to transition the project to a low pH in situ recovery facility, a little bit of upfront capacity, uh, capital requirements, about $2.5 million, and then uh, a new well field, $16 million. So, very low capital intensity to get the, the operations up to about 800,000 pounds a year. And then our ambition is to you know, quickly ramp up to two million pounds a year, which means doing the stage two expansion.
1: Right. Okay. So, it's what's happening here? I, I'm, I'm trying. to Because you, your peers, or the market traditionally for uranium producers, it's pounds on the ground. Show we're big, right? You've done a few things. Here. You've not put Barber in there, which is you know, down at sixty percent of your resource, right? You're saying we're going to just. Start with you know eight hundred thousand pounds initially, and then we're going to ramp it. We'll go through the the gears and ramp it up to two two million pounds. And I saw something, you know, potentially even three million pounds by stage three. But why why this slow start? When historically uranium companies are all about pounds in the ground to drive the value, is this some some kind of defence mechanism, or do you think this is the you're showing intent to actually get into production? Is is that what this is about?
0: Well, uh, we absolutely designed this um, uh, this definitive feasibility study so that the board and management would understand the costs of putting this project into production in the early years. Um, As you noted, um, we've always talked about the Lance projects as a as a large uh, universal project, uh, singular that has 54 million pounds of resources. But uh, uh, in reality, we've treated the Ross uh, or the Lance projects as 3 different projects. The Ross uh, project, which is fully licensed today. It has the Uranium production facility and it has 2 complete well fields with the potential for 2 or more additional well fields in the Ross area. Then we have the Kendrick project area, which is adjacent to Ross. It's the blue area on the map on the right-hand side here. And that's really sequentially the next production area that we were always going to go into. Between Ross and Kendrick, we can achieve a production rate of two million pounds per year without any any real uh, difficulties. Um, the Barber area, the much larger green area, uh, spans a, a a distance of about twenty five miles from north to south, and it's about five miles wide uh, east to west. Um, that holds a large inferred resource. Um, we have 32 million pounds at, at uh, Barber, mostly classified as inferred resources. For the construction of this DFS, we chose to remove Barber from the uh, f- from the definitive feasibility study, where our previous studies included Barber, not because we think anything less of Barber. Indeed, we're still very enthusiastic about Barber. But because we recognize that including a, a high level of inferred resources reduces the quality of analysis that you get from a feasibility study. And we wanted. To focus on a high quality output uh, feasibility study that our board could rely upon for the near term to understand the economics of the project.
1: But why? Tell me, tell me, tell me why. Okay, I I get it. So bringing in for, you'd be diluting the the economics somewhat. Makes sense. But why? Why is this the best thing for your shareholders to not include Barbara? And come back to it later. Why do you need this? High degree of certainty, or there's these these high high quality numbers now for the board. Isn't isn't this just about building up the story, driving up the share price, and then flipping it? No, it's not
0: about that. Um, Peninsula is, um, has a very highly qualified production team, and and our goals for this project and for our company is to return the project back into production. That's why we focused on the drivers of a good. Analysis that that will assure us that we understand the production economics of the project. This is not about um, uh, an intent to move this project into somebody else's hands. We believe the company is well positioned today to to take advantage of the better market opportunities that we see and and to put this project back into production. But what does that
1: mean? Take advantage of the you know, better market um, it, because you are going to have to toll. With the old uranium one um, uh, mill, which is now UEC, they're in acquisition mode. It it, it seems like um, at the uh, at the moment, aren't you an obvious takeout target for them? Isn't that the right thing for your shareholders?
0: Well, some might think so, and 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 others like me, who you know know that we have the team to move this forward. Um, you know, if we were approached, we'd have the conversation. Uh, but and we do rely on our partnership, uh, our agreements with UEC to to toll process in the near term. Uh, we have built that into this feasibility study, and we've also understand um, the stage two plant expansion um, to us, which is completed in, in you know by the end of year two, allows us to move away from relying on our competitors and our friendly competitors. Um, but and, and allows us to be self sufficient with production at Lance
1: for the long term, right? But that'll need financing. Those things cost a lot of money. Doesn't that, when that again, dramatically change the economics for you? Why go down that route?
0: Well, that, that's not necessarily true. The 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 um. You know, as I showed you in an earlier slide, we assess that the stage two plant expansion costs about twenty-four million dollars. That means, with a twenty-four million dollar investment into our plant, we have a plant capable of producing two million pounds per year of dry yellow cake. Which means we're self sufficient. So it's not a lot of capital. You look at the capital requirements for other facilities, this is a very low capital requirement. We did the cash flow analysis. We recognize that, you know, bringing the project online, ramping it up, and building the stage two uh, at plant expansion and well field expansion, you know, really in the first two years of this, of the life of this project, means that we're going to need. Uh, up to $60 million of of, uh, of uh, capital investment into the project. You know, we sit today with a 300,000-pound uh, uranium inventory that's valued at about $15 million. That's one of, one option for us to. To provide uh, funding into the project for, for, for the near term. We have about $7 million of cash on hand presently. So, you know, we're not cash starved. We're able to kick this project off with confidence and, and look at the markets um, for additional uh, sources of funding uh, in, in the future. Uh, when when we
1: make that final investment decision. Okay, so let, let's talk about the final investment decision because well, actually no, let, let's stick with Barbara for a little bit longer cause it's a very large land package. Um, how do you come at something like this? Because it, again, with with mining companies, they do have this this um, desire, it seems, to plow the money back in the ground and sort of see see the extent of what they've got it becomes a massive science experiment without actually focusing on the making the money bit. So. How do you tackle a very large land package like that, with this kind of ramp up from eight hundred to potentially two million? And you know, I guess I'm saying, what's the allocation of capital when you do start to make money? So you know, I think with an investment of uh, half a million to a
0: million uh, dollars a year, you know, consistently over time, in you know, into resource expansion and resource development on the Barber area. Uh, you know, we can not just replace the resources that we're consuming um, while we produce at Ross and Kendrick, but we can probably double or triple annually um, uh, the resources. There, We have mapped across the Barber area um, you know, rural front um, trends, um, and, and this is where the Uranium mineral is. We need to go in and delineate it you know with additional drill holes so the approach really will be a systematic and continuous investment into the expansion of the barber resources uh, you know probably starting in this fiscal year and and continuing into the future but but it doesn't take an enormous investment we you know we could probably you know with with less than a million dollars a year we can we can drill um, you know, 100 to 200 holes, and and significantly, significantly grow our resources. So for us, the idea is really look. You know, Ross and Kendrick, back in 2012 to 2015, the company focused on drilling in those areas. So that, that's why they have more measured and indicated uh, resources, or the bulk of the project is because we drilled there first. But we could just systematically, you know, expand our our drilling programs and move them into the Barber area, which is a large area to work. But um, you know, it's it's systematic. We have 50 million pounds of resources to exploit over the the course of time, and we can grow it and enhance it, and enhance the quality of the resource at Barber with a reasonable annual investment.
1: Okay, okay. I mean, I I, I like that. I like that. I like that. That's that's not just trying to Shout and um, wave arms at the market and say, "Please come take me out." You're serious about getting into production, okay? Let's let's go with that. Um, to do that, you're going to need some um, a little bit more money. Um, to do that, you're going to need some um, term contracts. And we we talked about September, October being an important period for utilities traditionally, historically. Um, what are you going to be able to say to them with this DFS now? In terms of we rode the life of mine, and you, you let, let's assume technically you you, you crack the code how do you how do you make self attractive how do you make self make them understand that you are serious I mean, you've got the us component in terms of domestic production that's really good news what else have you got
0: well they're really interested in in uh, domestic producers who are near term ready to produce our timeline for production is very short we make that final investment decision and we can be generating yellow cake from our facilities within six months. Um, so you know, we have the capacity to be um, supplying into new contracts as early as 2023. But more likely, you know, co- new contracts are going to involve timeframes that are 2024 and beyond. So that's very comfortable for us in the timing that we have. We can share with, with uh, utilities now, with a high de- degree of confidence that our all-in sustaining cost is below $40. I think the, the study placed it at, what, $39 and, um, Makes sense. and 8 cents. So, you know, here we are in a market, our all-in sustaining cost is freshly analyzed in a current market with current operating and capital costs to be about $39
1: a pound. So you're looking We're for what? Say, what are you looking for then? Uh,
0: yeah, we'll we'll be looking for prices that, that uh, provide a fair return on investment. We also, you know, shared um, our all-in costs, the project all-in, which includes the upfront capital and the upfront investment is closer to forty-five. It's forty-five seventy-five or something like that in the in the presentation. So look, you know. First and foremost, we're not going to be selling Uranium into the market in, you know, in the 40s. That's not a fair return on investment for our shareholders and for our company and for our efforts. Um, you know, but we know that we can consider contracts um, in the mid-50s and, and certainly would enter into contracts with pricing in the 60s. You know our, you know our message to um, the uranium fuel buyers or, or the fuel buyers is is just succinctly that we've defined our prices, uh, the markets are are currently supportive of that. If you're interested in a reliable near-term producer and um, and and production from a U.S. source, uh, we're your guy.
1: There you go, uranium cooper- cooperative on on its way because I think most CEOs are. Um, Saying sixty-five, so somewhere between sixty-five and seventy-five, but but sixty-five seems to be the starting point. So, uh, if if you think if that message is loud and clear with utilities in uh, September, October, that they are going to pay attention this year in the way that they haven't for the last three or, or four. Years. What, what, what's, what's changed in the market? We're seeing yeah. lots of conversation around political narrative changing. I, the politicians have been given permission, with energy security crisis, to move to nuclear as so a solution in a way that they haven't before. We've seen bills coming out of the US. Lots of money being, well, if not earmarked for nuclear and uranium, cer- certainly they're they're in the mix. Um, what what are, you, what are you looking at as the the thing that's going to you know make the difference?
0: Yeah, well, I think uh, we have to recognize that that the utilities have been signing contracts with uh, producers um, and near term producers. Um, now, uh, the the market has shifted from. The tier one top producers uh, uh, to now layering in contracts with um, the next generation or the next uh, group of producers. You know, folks like Peninsula who have a near term production prog- prog- uh, project. Uh, we've seen our peer companies signing contracts. We have talked with the utilities and and we've told them. You know, we were very specific. We'd love to sign a contract with you, but we're not going to do it until we have a full appreciation of our costs and our all-in sustaining costs and what it's going to take to make this a profitable project. So now we're ready to engage with the utilities in very detailed
1: discussions about pricing and timing. Right, and given what we, well, as we understand it, like everyone's got a different view on it, but we've spoken to a few parts, You know, you're not going to be able to sign big contracts initially, so you're going to need to get a whole bunch of these things uh, initially just to prove that you know, so no one's caught out at, the, at their end, but also you prove that you can get it in production and produce exactly what they're paid for. So that, that process takes time and the relevant skill sets and the connections, etc. Have you got a, a team and you got people that can actually manage that?
0: We do. Actually, uh, you know, one of our directors, Mr. Harrison Barker, uh, is a former lead fuel buyer for a U.S. nuclear utility. He has all the connections in the space, and he's taken up the uh, the charge for us. He's he's been doing quite a bit of extra work for for the company, um, in in speaking with the utilities and, and beginning to set the stage for for uh, negotiations on on new contracts. So, uh, we have um, we have been actively engaged with the utilities in the marketplace. Uh, myself and, and and Director Barker. Uh, and um, you know we're, we're actually very uh, long ways down the road uh, towards um, you know uh, having a full uh, understanding with the utility fuel buyers as to you know the structures and and uh, timing and pricing.
1: Right, we've heard of, again talking. To, I've been talking to lots of people, right? And and um, you know some people like well, do you know what, we want to get term contracts for fifty percent of our production, and we're going to have. The rest in the spot market give us the flexibility. We know, if at least, we've got our costs covered with the relevant percentage of of, of term sheets. Then we're, we're good. We spot market is good. Others will look back to um, Paladin of old and say, "Well, that's how they got caught out." So, where do you sit in terms of that strategic mix of between, you know? Well,
0: looking at looking at the. Uh the projection of the production from the Ross and the Kendrick areas of about 14 million pounds over the life of those areas, uh, we have presently about one third of that that production committed into long term contracts, which extend out to the year 2030 and fit very nicely into the production time frame. So you know we're not
1: starting from scratch, Matt. We have a no, but yeah, those, those those are those are what portfolio. sort of numbers? No, what what are what are those numbers? Are they in the fifties? Are they in the forties? I mean, where are they? They are. They're in the fifties.
0: Okay. Yeah. And, and and so you know now we know you know when we look at the fe- definitive feasibility study that our contracts are good and and that we can continue to layer in additional contracts or or you know we can also you know because we have about a third of our production now committed into contracts. Uh, you know, a higher percentage, that that'd be comfortable. We're not gonna put it all into contracts because we want our shareholders to have some exposure to the the potentially very high markets of the
1: future. But you do you do need a a, a blended average contract of at least high fifties, if not a six bar on yeah, it there, right? You no, know, we'll, be, we'll be looking
0: for that. But, you know, our feasibility study utilized um, trade tech. And, and a forward market price model that they generated for us on a proprietary basis, uh, and you know over the the life of the project, um, the feasibility study um, projects that that the extra production, the, the non-committed production, which is the two-thirds, uh, will be sold at an average price of around sixty-five okay. and a half dollars. Okay. You know, that's a that's a good number. That that's what generates the feasibility, uh, you know, that we see in front of us today.
1: Yeah, but it's the it's the blended average number that you need to slowly slowly creep up. Um, um, I, I think. Um, just, and just on that, I mean, you've just done a definitive feasibility study, right? And it's already out of date. Such as the nature. So how does one keep a track of the cost to make sure that things are moving? Or is this built into the terms of the the, the trade contracts? I mean, how do you protect yourself going forward in a rising in cost environment?
0: Well, absolutely. You know, we did sensitivity studies, you know, based on and, and we and we analyzed the sensitivity to opex, we analyzed the sensitivity to capex and importantly, we analyse the sensitivity to the sales price that, that we uh, generate. We know that the project, like other mineral projects, is most sensitive to the sales price. The OPEX has a small impact on, uh, you know, a 5 or a 10% increase in OPEX has a small impact on the MPV and and the uh, IRR, uh, you know, a 5 to 10% change in the in the capex has a small impact on the IRR and MPV. A 10% change in the in the sales price of our uncommitted pounds will change our MPV by 60 million dollars. Sure. You know, moving it from 125 to say 185 million dollars. Um, you know, and it has a huge impact on our IRR as well. So, how do we protect ourselves? We understand.
1: Um, you know, our thresholds on the inputs. Okay, understood. Obviously, sales price goes straight to the bottom line. Increased cost is a percentage of the total total, total average. Um, okay, um, understood. Understood. So you're in the kind of, you, feel, you obviously feel like you're in the 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 last nine yards, as it were. Um, what else needs to happen between now and final investment decision? Okay, so feasibility study is one thing, but is there are there other hurdles to overcome? Um, you know, and how much control do you have over those elements? Now, really. At this
0: point in time, uh, Peninsula has done a tremendous amount of the legwork. We've technically de-risked our project. We have our regulatory um, environment fully fully understood. We're we're fully um, authorized to move ahead with the low pH. Uh, in situ recovery at the project, so no. Regulatorily, we're de-risked. Staff-wise, I told you that we have you know a very competent and experienced production staff, but we're really uh, three quarters of the way to fully staffed at the project today, you know, for for production. We have operators who have experienced operating in the last year. We've been running our project in anticipation. Uh, you know, we've been circulating fluids from the existing mine units into the plant. The operators are skilled at operating. The maintenance folks are, are skilled at maintenance. We have all of the the, the key management personnel in place today. Uh, we have we have de-risked the staffing element of this project. So, when you look at it, you know, a company that aspires to be in production needs to be technically and operationally and 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 regulatorily de-risked. We're there. Um, what's next for us is really to now take this model that we've constructed for the feasibility study, and further stress test it. Let's let's look at uh, you know all of the worst case scenarios so that we know that we are not making any mistakes. And then and then um, let's you know let's gather and and analyze those those cases and and make that decision is now the right time to. Uh, to go back into production.
1: Okay, all well, seems very realistic. Um So, and I'm as- asking as- asking the next question in the context of one year ago. Um, this month, um, we saw Sput arrive, and people got very very excited. We had lots of well, some great headlines. Two hundred dollar <laughs> uranium by the end of the year was was much repeated, um, and there were there was lots of this was coming off the back of um, you know. You know, U.S. government talking about putting some capital down uh, for U.S. uranium reserve, etc. So it, it was always, it was a slightly slightly wild ride when you look back on it in a sort of cool, calm light of day. Right now, though, it seems the U.S. government are even more frenzied than they were last year. So I'm trying to work out what real is and what the impacts are, and how do companies like you take advantage of it? Would you just quietly go about your business, and have something... Some you know something happens that it, it happens. So we've got um, hundreds of billions of dollars. Like anti-inflationary bills. You've got and you know energy bills. You've got um, reactors being kept online um, in California. You know, Diablo being kept online in California. You've got. Um com- other companies who are at a much earlier stage I expression pu- pumping the story about the amount of US government support that's going to be available for US supply. Hey, wh- wh- how do you make sense of all of that? Well, I, I view the the current um,
0: market opportunities as, as good as they've ever been in my career.
1: Right, uh, but wait, what are the real it, bits?
0: It, that's what it, I'm trying to get the at. The real well, the real bet is, is that the nuclear utilities who operate um, you know, reactors today are seeing um, full-scale support from our government to continue operating those uh, reactors. To con- you know, They now have the certainty that they've long wanted, that they can continue to run these, extend the lives of the projects, continue to supply them with fuel, and now they can go out into the market and start contracting for fuel for the longer term. It's, it's been an element that's been completely missing in the market. The utilities, while they've had unmet demand and future, you know, future requirements that were unmet by contracting, always had to sit on their thumbs and say, well, look, our certainty as to the operation of our nuclear f- fleet, it's just not there. We don't know how much fuel we're really going to need in the future and we're not going to overcommit to buying way more fuel than we need today. With, with the Inflation Reduction Act heading to President Biden's desk, uh, which, which absolutely gives them you know, production tax credits for clean energy, uh, and, you know for operating the nuclear power plants, Governor Gavin um, Newsom. His name Newsom. Newsom in yeah. California saying, we got to save Diablo Canyon. We shouldn't shut it down. It makes sense for us now. Uh, there's so much uh, rolling in favor of nuclear energy. Uh, you know what we're going to see on the on the supply and demand curves for uranium uh, requirements is that we're going to be seeing the high cases uh, uh, becoming the the the, the norm, the, yeah. the, the medium cases now, and and the the new high cases are going to be much higher. So you know the demand for nuclear fuel, the demand for uranium conversion and enrichment. Um, you know, It's very strong right now. This year's market is, is, is extraordinarily
1: different than it was a year ago. Okay, so does all of this support for nuclear and therefore Uranium, does that have to be done to the detriment of fossil fuels? The oil and gas companies are copying a lot of slack. Coal companies are copying a lot of slack, and it seems to us that, well, maybe we need a little bit of all of the above. Um, but what's your view on on the, the rather dynamic and fluid energy scene in the US?
0: Clearly, uh, we need all of the above. Um, look, we just went through an extraordinary period of price Increases for oil and gas because we're not producing enough oil and gas globally. Uh, we've just gone through a period, you know, now where, where coal had been previously crushed, but everybody recognizes that with oil and gas in deficit, coal was needed at a greater degree. As the economy and the capacities evolve towards more nuclear, more wind and solar, You know, market shares are gonna, you know, gonna have to come from somewhere. But I am a a firm supporter of all forms of energy. Uh, Our economy relies on on low cost electricity, low cost fuel, and and the best way to have a, a a thriving economy is to supply energy sources into it. All of them, all of the above, Matt.